Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. This is Episode 6, Just Not Right. Last time on Dakota Spotlight. Victor is a good dude, real good dude, you know. Because he was attending bar and I was drinking, like, maybe we weren't sober by any means. A couple girls come in and we were all having fun, everybody was dancing and... And she was wearing, like, a, uh, some tights on, they were all ripped up and everything, you know. And she was like, well, where did Victor go? We heard he went in the ditch out there, then he slipped on the ice and the snow. I just seen his arm up in there, and I knew he was dead, you know. And they say hypothermia, but <laughs> that's what they said. In my reoccurring dream, Victor Newberry, a man I never met in real life, he leans casually against a brick wall and takes a long drag on a cigarette under blue pulsating lights. It feels like New York or Berlin or London, one of those places at night where, unlike in a small town on the prairie, a man can walk down the street, hell, he could cartwheel down the street without anyone raising a judging eyebrow or rolling their eyes. Victor and I are standing outside of a bar, it seems, watching taxis roll up and down the avenue. Strolling past us on the sidewalk are groups of light-hearted and laughing men and women, and Victor studies them all with a pleasant and peaceful grin on his face. The song, or maybe it's the music video from Waiting on a Friend by the Rolling Stones comes to mind as Victor and I silently take in the city like old friends. The blue light is a neon sign pulsating overhead, and it seems to broadcast like seductive radar or sonar to anything and anyone with a heavy conscience that over here, inside this place, inside this bar, your secrets, your sorrows, and all of your regrets are safe with us. I lean against the wall too, and although Victor doesn't speak, as I watch him blow silver smoke into the city night, I do feel a kindred brotherhood with him somehow. Whatever this kinship is, I can't put my finger on it, but somehow Victor already knows what this is, and he is in no way surprised that I have sought him out after his untimely death. He seems to know that we need each other for something, but he won't show me or tell me why. And then I look into the sky and I watch a light move across the dark canopy of the universe, and that's when I say, is that an airplane or a satellite? 
Victor follows this light with his eyes too, and we both wonder together in silence, an airplane or a satellite. Victor drops his cigarette butt, rubs it out with his shoe, and then, without a word, he leaves me. He returns into the dark recesses of the bar. I peek through the tall window from the street, and inside the bar I see hundreds of men sitting at long wooden tables illuminated by small gas lamps. They are men from all ages of history, it seems, all huddled over their steins and glasses and bottles of beer. Perhaps it's some kind of club or permanent private gathering, but what it certainly isn't is one of those wild saloons. There are no loudmouth drunks puffing out their chests, no gunslinging or fist-throwing. These men are quiet drinkers. This is a type of beer hall full of men who look to have learned something, and whatever it is, they've learned it the tough way. They look humbled by life itself, and they've mostly come to terms with themselves and their pasts. And yet, in each one of them, there is no mistaking that look. The look of a man with a heavy weight on his tired shoulders, burdened still by remorse and guilt for all of the things they wish they'd done differently. I watch Victor sit down with these men at a table near the bar, and then every time, every single time, I wake up. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight Season 1, one man's personal quest to explain another man's perplexing death. What happened exactly to Victor Newberry of Glenelland, North Dakota, found dead next to his vehicle in December of 2014? My name is James Walner. Music by Julia Kent. Visit dakotaspotlight.com for more information. Suggest stories for future seasons, submit tips and questions, see photographs, and sign up for the newsletter. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes, get the episodes early, and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. Last time, Victor's friends Donna, Brad, Doug, and Stephen shared with us their observations and recollections from the night Victor died. Now, I want to share with you some of their theories and speculations. Nancy, who runs the Glenelyn Times, as well as Francis and Harvey Tibor, had reminded me of what I already believe, that stories in small towns should be taken with a certain amount of salt. And so, when Victor's friends relayed to me second or sometimes third-hand information, I tried to keep this in mind. Still, when I first met them, I was eager to ask them about Henry Palazzo because we know that Henry had threatened Victor in the past. 
and according to Brad Nesper, Henry was in downtown Glenullen that night, and in the bar. But, as you may remember from last time, it seems that the conflict between Henry and Victor had actually climaxed long before that night. Ray Havelock had also indicated this when he said it had perhaps been one and a half years before his death that Victor had asked to borrow a gun due to Henry's threats. Brad Nesper told us last time that Henry and Victor had learned to tolerate each other. Of course, throw alcohol into the equation and you never know what might happen, but it seemed that the air had gone out of that balloon. Regardless, I wanted to get to the bottom of it all and ask them all about Henry. But as you may remember, and as you will see again, it was not Henry that these people wanted to talk about. When I asked Victor's friends about their theories and thoughts, all they wanted to talk about were our new characters, the three strangers, two women and a man who, apparently, have not been seen in Glenullen since that night. Let's start with Doug Martwick. And then he met some girls, and, and somebody told me that he left with them. So then we never heard anything about what happened when he left with them, because the next thing we knew, he was passed away. You ever seen those people again? No. I couldn't I tell you the truth. I seen him that one time because I didn't stick around in there very long. And uh, that's it. But somebody told me there was a guy, too, with him. But we told the authorities about it, so we don't know how far that went. I asked Brad Nesper about things, too. Brad turned out to be an invaluable source of both new information, and as you will see, he was able to refute some claims made by Victor's other friends. What other rumors have you heard out there about his death, if any? Other than the fact that he supposedly took off with the girls and they sh- he, he never showed up and they did come back. I don't know. You know, I didn't see it actually them leave with, the, you know, them leave together. So I can't say for sure. And that's exactly what I told the, the investigator oh. uh, when they interviewed me down at the bar when they first were investigating everything. Oh, so you talked to uh, law enforcement? Yes. Because I had to go through some of the, the videotape with him oh. and show him who who was who and who, who what, when, why, and how. Uh, someone from Morton County Sheriff sat down with you and you looked at video together yeah. asking you who's this person, who's yeah. that person. Yes. It turns out that JR's bar had surveillance video in place. By the way, the owner of JR's was known as Junior, and Junior is also deceased, so I couldn't speak with him. You know, somewhere, I don't know where it might be, but I might have a copy of it. But I, to tell you the truth, I don't know where it's at. Yeah, because I had to go down there and help Junior make a copy of it. Got the right codex for it to, to for it to run and play on. I might have it. This surveillance video was a hot topic among Victor's friends, and it would be tempting to run with the theories presented by Donna and Stephen, who told me that the surveillance video actually showed Victor leaving downtown Glenullen with at least one of the three strangers. This is what Stephen had to say. And I don't know how they don't see who the hell he frickin' left the bar with, because it's on frickin' videotape. I asked Stephen if there were outdoor video cameras, too. Did he have outdoor video, or do you think? I'm not sure. I can't tell you if he did or not, but I mean, you can see who fucking walks out of the bar with him. I mean, what? I mean, really? And Donna had this to say. And they got it on camera that she got into his vehicle with him, the blonde. And 
I don't know. <laughs> that's, and that's all I know. Did you see that video yourself? No. Again, it is tempting to embrace that story, that there is proof in the form of video of someone leaving with Victor, which in itself is not proof that Victor met with foul play. But if nothing else, it might help put the puzzle together. After all, we didn't even know why Victor was out at that remote spot north of town. But, as tempting as that story was, Brad Nesper turned out to be a more credible source of information because he had seen the video with his own eyes, and Brad had a different recollection of it all. Was there more than one camera view? Yeah, there was more than one camera view. There was probably at least six cameras in the, in the, in the, the bar. There's one on the outside front, and then there was one on the outside back. And then you don't remember a video of him leaving? No, I don't remember seeing anything of, of the video of that. I think if there was uh, whatever portion of it, the video is the his car was so far away that you couldn't really tell. And I, I remember correctly, but you know I couldn't really say here nor, nor there, and I didn't actually see it with my own two eyes that he took off. So I don't know. Everything else in the bar, you know, that you see on that video, yeah, I remember every bit of it. So, you know, because we were all having fun. So, in other words, to use a cheap cliche. Victor kind of just vanished from downtown Glenullen. Despite surveillance video indoors and outdoors, despite people moving between JR's and Doc's bar, and don't forget that anyone who smokes cigarettes would be standing outside the bar too, Victor somehow was able to simply disappear. I don't mean to suggest that this was in any way unbelievable. Of course a person can leave a small-town bar without anyone taking notice. People are drinking, having a good time, and maybe not paying attention to such things. But the odd part about it is that Victor then died, too. He just happened to die after disappearing. That really was the curious part. Let's say that Victor died from a drug overdose. Had he died of an overdose in the bar or at home or anywhere else he was supposed to be, his death would be much less curious. Perhaps it's all just a coincidence, but still, what was he doing out there? And regardless of why he died, why did he die just then? Another thing I asked him about was Victor and how much he had been drinking. Stephen rejected the idea that Victor was maybe just too intoxicated, and that might explain why Victor passed out or fell, or maybe even explain why he drove into a ditch north of town. Oh, I mean, he liked to drink, but... Yeah. And you're going to go lay down beside his truck and die. That's his... And why... I, and yeah. I don't understand why he was even out there, you know? He was so scared about DUIs. I mean, he wouldn't drive anywhere. It was so out of character of him to be out there. But Donna Schantz brought up some very good points about Victor's potential physical state that night. Apparently, due to his back surgery, Victor was using prescription painkillers. According to Johnny, Victor could really handle his alcohol. Yeah. What is your opinion about that? He could, yeah. But that night, though, but he was on those painkillers from his back. He had that back surgery right. two weeks prior. And yeah, he he was a little bit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but not nothing too bad. Donna made another really good point too. Even if she didn't think Victor would take ecstasy, if he had taken it, or even worse, if he had perhaps been drugged, what would that do to his system in combination with painkillers and alcohol? Did Victor take any drugs other than like? No, never, never. I've never seen him take any drugs. Marijuana? Nothing, nothing. 
So it would have been just uh, alcohol and those painkillers probably, huh? Maybe. But like, like I was saying, though, with that ecstasy stuff, I don't know how that works. I don't know, you know? And while we're on the topic of drugs, one of the few physical clues, so to speak, that anyone told me about was a lanyard or keychain that Stephen found outside the bar the next day. Did you ever talk to law enforcement? People say, like, yeah, I found this lanyard outside the freaking bar that said uh, it was from one of the, you know what I'm saying? Stephen said it was from it was the village. From, like the village or whatever. The Village is a family service center in Bismarck, North Dakota, with an addiction treatment facility that provides treatment for adults struggling with drug dependency. That someone would have been in rehab over, you know, the uh, the village, and I found it outside the bar, and I gave it to the cops. And I would later attempt to understand the significance, if any, of the lanyard that Stephen found. Learning about the mysterious three strangers, I became excited. Excited and eager to go and start looking for them, even if at the moment all I had to go on was a lanyard from a place called The Village. I wanted to figure out who these people were and where they were. I wanted to find them and I wanted to ask them questions about that night. But of course, I could not just abandon the thread with Henry. Henry had been at the bar that night. I couldn't just drop that whole thing now just because suddenly I had something else to look at. The thought of searching for three mysterious strangers was a much more comfortable thought than was asking Donna if she thought one of her previous boyfriends might have killed another. But of course, in the end, I had to do it. I just hoped that she could help me rule them out quickly and for once and for all. And at least for a few seconds there, it looked like that was actually going to happen. I want to ask you at some point about Henry, if I may. Go ahead. Um, it's my understanding that Henry, you were dating Henry after. Mm-hmm. I've heard that they had, I've heard that Henry didn't like him much. I heard that he threatened him. Always, he just didn't like black people because Victor was half black. But Henry had nothing to do with this. And I know that for a fact. So were you with him that night? No. Nope. I was with Nick and Leon, my uncle and his girlfriend. We went up to the wet spot. So Donna was at JR's bar earlier in the evening, and then later, she says, they went up to the other bar in town the wet spot, which is several blocks away. But you're, you are in a unique situation here that you, people have said that those two did not get along. But you, I understand that Henry is also deceased. Is that correct? Um, I see it happen. You want to tell he us about it? He had a heart attack. Yeah, he had a heart attack. This was a couple years ago? It was a year in February. I asked Donna to tell me a little bit about Henry, that is, aside from the fact that he didn't like black people. He wasn't all that nice, but he would never do something like that. In no way. There's just no way. 
I know he didn't, because I know that. Because I, I, <laughs> he was sick about it after it happened. He was just sick. Huh, he couldn't believe it himself. I want to ask you anyway that, I mean, I would imagine that because you were, since you were dating Henry and there was speculation in the community, did you and Henry ever have conversations about it to the point where did you ever ask him, did you have something to do with it or did he say oh. people are blaming me or anything like that? Oh, no. Well, I did. I said, what are you, what's going on actually? But no, and I knew I didn't because I knew where he was that night. I knew where he was. So he had an alibi, I didn't. Yeah. Where was he? And suddenly I sat up straight, my spirits lifted, and I prepared to scratch Henry off my list and march off in search of three strangers. But it was short-lived. He was, well, first he was um, down at the docks and then he left. Henry was at Doc's bar and then he left. This was no alibi. This put Henry right in the spot where an altercation took place. And if he left, well, where did he go? This was no alibi. Well, let me just ask you this way. In your, so you knew Victor, you knew, you knew both Victor and you knew uh, Henry. Yeah. Between zero and 100%, how, sh how sure are you that Henry had nothing to do with it? 100%. A hundred percent. That I know. That I know. No, it was them two girls and that guy. And I don't care what anybody says. And everybody knows that. Or that's what they're feeling. Because we've never seen them since. And why nothing ever became of this, I don't know. Because everybody in town wants to know what happened. I mean, I seen Henry's heart attack, so that I know, but this is just not right with Victor. That's not right. Is there anything I haven't asked you about or that, or that you would like to I would say? like to know who those people were that came in that bar that night that we've never seen before and we haven't seen since. My list was getting longer, not shorter. I couldn't cross Henry off of it, and instead, I was adding three more people to it. Three strangers, with a single clue, a lanyard. Maybe this is a good time for a little recap. I want to start by describing for you the area of downtown Glen Ullen, where Doc's Bar and J.R.'s Bar sit, as well as tell you something about the entrances of those buildings. If you were to stand on the street looking towards the bar's front entrances, you would be facing south. You can see this on Google Street View. I'll post a link to it from dakotaspotlight.com. You will be facing south, so to speak, and you will see three buildings. From left to right, at the time of Victor's death, they are first a two-story building that was and is now abandoned, I believe. Then the building in the middle is Doc's Bar, and then on the right is the smaller JR's Bar where Victor worked. The street you are standing on, East South Avenue, runs east-west, and the building entrances are on the north side of each building, so facing you, as I said. 
The smaller JR's bar on the far right is a narrow and deep building. Doc's bar, the middle building, is twice as wide. At the time of Victor's death, there were at least two entrances to Doc's bar, the middle building, where a disturbance took place that night. There was the main entrance into the bar facing the street, but there was also a side entrance on the eastern side, so to your left in the little alley between the abandoned building and Doc's, the opposite side of the building from the side next to JR's. At the time of this recording, Google's Street View image shows a small wooden gate closing off that alley, but I'm not sure that was there in 2014. What I do remember being there was a restaurant in the back of Doc's bar with an entrance from that alley. If you are looking at that Google Street image, you'll see a cafe sign hanging outside the two-story building, which is, and I believe was, abandoned even then. Don't be confused by that cafe sign. That's not the restaurant I'm referring to. There was a type of restaurant in the back of Doc's bar, the middle building, and there was an entrance, as I said, from that alley about halfway back. The restaurant in the back had different hours than the bar, of course, but inside the building they were connected. You could move freely between the bar up front and the restaurant in the back. One building, two entrances, and therefore two exits. I assume the side door was required for legal reasons so that people under the age of 21 could get into the restaurant in the back without passing through the liquor establishment up front. In addition to that side door, it would not surprise me if there was a back door through the kitchen somewhere, and I should also point out that JR's bar also had a back entrance. As you might understand then, technically, it would be possible to leave these establishments without leaving through the front door. Brad Nesper told us that the two outdoor cameras for surveillance were outside the front door and back door of JR's. But of course, if a person was to leave Doc's bar through the alley on the east side, that would certainly not show up on JR's surveillance video. So that is the layout of downtown Glen Ullen that night. Victor was working in JR's bar. He'd had back surgery a couple weeks earlier and was taking some kind of prescription medication for the pain. We know that he asked someone to watch the bar for five minutes at around 11 p.m., and then he never came back. He left his coat, his phone, his computer, and other belongings. He was found dead north of town the next morning at 8.30 a.m. We know that the following people were at JR's bar that night. Victor's friends Brad and Stephen were there until closing. Doug Martwick was there for a short while early in the evening. Donna Schantz was there for a bit with her uncle and some friends. They went next door to Doc's bar at some point and then later came back to JR's bar. Sheriff officers were called to Doc's bar at 11.45 p.m. due to a disturbance. Henry Palazzo was in JR's bar, too. Brad remembers him being there, but he says there was no tension or animosity between Victor and Henry that night that he could remember. Donna said that Henry was also at Doc's bar next door at some point in the evening. Donna and her uncle and friends left downtown Glen Ullen at some point and went to the bar on the hill south of town, but Henry did not go with them. Three strangers, two women and one man, also came into the bar. They had never been seen in Glen Ullen before and apparently have not been seen there since. One of the women was blonde and the other dark-haired. Donna claims that the three strangers were doing the drug ecstasy and that they were offering it to everyone. 
She also thinks, although her memory did seem sketchy, that the three strangers also went to Doc's bar next door at some point. Donna Schantz also claims that surveillance video shows Victor leaving in his pickup with the blonde girl, but Brad Nesper, who saw the video with his own eyes, claims it is not possible to see Victor leave with anyone. Victor's vehicle was not visible in any of the two outdoor cameras, and Brad didn't see Victor leave with anyone. In fact, nobody saw Victor leave the area at all. So, let's pose some questions and consider this a little bit. And again, feel free to email or call in your own thoughts or questions about all this. You can find the information at dakotaspotlight.com tips. Victor asked someone to watch the bar for five minutes. What does that tell us? Did he mean literally five minutes, give or take? Is that how long he expected to be gone, or was that just a way for him to get someone to agree to take over the bar for him? Did he know that he'd be gone longer than five minutes, and was he even planning to come back at all? I believe that he at least expected to come back because of the fact that he left his phone and jacket in the bar. If he was sneaking away for the night, I don't think he would leave those things behind. According to Ray Havelock, Victor liked to, quote, have a little fun with the ladies, unquote. Victor did have a girlfriend at the time, and we will be talking about her later on. But maybe Victor and the blonde girl, as Donna says, snuck off to have a little fun. That at least seems like a possibility or plausible explanation for Victor leaving. But we are also making many assumptions which can be a dangerous venture when looking for the truth. Some of the assumptions we are making are based off of the knowledge we now have about where Victor ended up and was found dead. For example, Brad Nesper said, quote, and then Victor took off, unquote. In other words, Victor left. That is actually an assumption. Nobody saw him leave. Yes, he was found the next morning in a ditch, but isn't it also possible that he was taken against his own will? Sure, he said he'd be back in five minutes, so it does kind of sound like he meant to leave or at least go outside the bar, but it is still an assumption to say that he left, at least while alive or on his own free will. There is another assumption we have been making, or at least I have been making. Stephen said that Victor was very afraid of getting a DUI, getting arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol. In other words, it would be out of character for Victor to drive out there. But it is also an assumption at this point to say that Victor drove himself anywhere. We simply don't know how he got there, how his vehicle got there, nor what actually happened to him. I did ask Brad, by the way, to look for that copy of the videotape that he thought he might have, but he came up short-handed. At the time of this recording, he has been unable to find it. There are, of course, many potential scenarios or potential theories regarding what happened to Victor, and I want to just throw one out there. It's a type of pure speculation. Let's think about those three strangers for a second. Two girls, one guy. Maybe, by 11 p.m., the three strangers were at Doc's bar, and they invited Victor over there. Again, pure speculation. Who knows? Maybe Victor walked in the front door of Doc's, but left out the side door, again, willingly or unwillingly. We know Doc's bar called the police department at 11.45 p.m., but we don't know what time the disturbance actually happened. Victor leaves at 11. Victor vanishes. Police called at 11.45, and he's found dead the next morning in a ditch. Was Victor set up by the three strangers for some reason? Was he drugged? Did he walk out the front door, or was he carried out the side door? 
next time on Dakota Spotlight. County Sheriff's Department. As I examined the scene, it became apparent that it was not a traffic accident. Near the front door on the ground, I found two envelopes and a bank receipt that belonged to Newberry. The temperature that concerns you to share with me? There were also two dirty handprints on the passenger side of the blazer. I believe we spoke a couple weeks ago about a lanyard. Yeah, so I reached, okay, I had reached out to our HR director who's been here for 30 some years. Another bar patron came into the bar sometime around midnight and made a comment about kill all the... You have been listening to Dakota Spotlight Season 1, the story of Victor Newberry. Music provided graciously by Julia Kent. Visit juliakent.com to learn more about Julia and her amazing work. Dakota Spotlight is produced by Everything Midwestern LLC of North Dakota. My name is James Wolner. Visit dakotaspotlight.com for more information. If you find yourself enjoying this podcast and would like to help support it and maybe make possible a season two, visit dakotaspotlight.com slash support to find out the many ways you can help out. Fellow podcasters, writers, researchers, investigators, and other curious and restless souls interested in a possible collaboration in the future, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.